W-P-H-A-T. You're listening to the number one health and wellness podcast, the place where health and consciousness connect perfectly, perfectly healthy, healthy and tone, tone radio, radio, radio with your host, Darren McDuffie. And now prepare to get fat. What's cracking peeps and welcome back to another segment of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I'm your show host, Darren McDuffie, and today I have another great episode to share with you I did with Dr. Carrie Drizga on her book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Before getting into the episode and really getting into my pee talk, I wanted to just ask you, what are you digging about the new format? Went to a pre-recorded format, so you should have a lot better audio quality. So I'd really love to hear your feedback. If you have time, email me at perfectlyhealthyandtoneradio at gmail.com. Again, that's perfectlyhealthyandtoneradio at gmail.com. And let me know what you're thinking. Also, if there's someone that you absolutely want to hear on the podcast, drop me an email about that as well, and I'll do my best to get them on. Now, getting into my pre-talk about the episode with Dr. Carrie Driska, one thing that sticks out in my mind is that from speaking with her and also other health professionals, fatigue seems to be that most common complaint when people come in to see a health professional. Fatigue is something that you should take very seriously. A lot of times I think that as we get older, we tend to accept the fact that we are supposed to have less energy and that's just not the case. So again, take fatigue seriously. And Dr. Carrie Drizga does a great job of actually explaining the root causes of fatigue in this particular interview. So without further ado, let's get into the episode right after I give you Dr. Carrie Drizga's bio. Dr. Carrie Drizga is known internationally as the functional medicine doctor, the go-to expert on finding the root causes of health problems so you can feel normal again. She's a chiropractor and naturopathic doctor, host of the popular podcast, The Functional Medicine Radio Show, and author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Dr. Carey is also the creator of Entrepreneurial Fatigue, How to Fuel Your Brain and Body for Entrepreneurial Success. Her private practice is Functional Medicine Ontario, located in Ottawa, Ontario. You can visit her at drcarey.com. Enjoy the interview. Dr. Carey Drisco, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. How are you? I'm great, Darren. How are you today? Good. I'm doing awesome. Getting ready to, I can't say I'm getting ready for a hurricane, but we have a hurricane here in South Florida that's kind of looming over us. I've experienced one or two before living here in South Florida, so I'm kind of getting hankered in and, and, and tuckered down and, and getting ready for this thing, and hopefully it'll it'll blow over. Uh, I, really I hope soon. it does just blow over and, you know, everybody is safe and sound and yeah, I don't think we're going to get the eye, which is always good. We'll probably get the outskirts, which is more of the the wind, a little bit of the wind and more of the outer bands of the storm. So I'm just wanting it to, to blow over quickly and get back to the normal everyday life. But today we're going to be discussing your book, Reclaim Your Energy, which is, I think, something that everyone needs to do. And um, I wanted to really talk to you about your story because it seems like everyone comes to health and wellness through a different route. It's very rare that we come through health and wellness because we just want to be in it. It seems like we come to it because there's a family member, as in myself, my mom passed away and kind of got me more into health and wellness or through our own personal experience. So I wanted you to share your story of how you got into the health and wellness. 
Oh, I'd love to start there, Darren. So let's see here. I was, um, you know, when I was gr- growing up, I always knew that I wanted to help people. And I knew that I was always wanted to be in the medical field in some in some way, but I knew I did not want to be a medical doctor, and I knew I did not want to be a nurse, but I didn't know what else was out there, to tell you the truth. And uh, somehow I stumbled onto uh, chiropractic, and, uh, and, and through seeing patients, I was about, to tell you the truth, I was about five years in a practice as a chiropractor, and, I, and my husband, by the way, he's also a chiropractor. And uh, I remember vividly coming home one night, and sitting down at dinner and, and looking at him and saying, do you see yourself doing this like for the next 25, 30 years? Because I, I'm i not happy with being a chiropractor. I don't see myself doing this for the rest of my life. Like I'm already bored five years in. And Darren still having like a pile of student loans to mm-hmm. pay off also, right? Very scary. And he was like, no, I love being a chiropractor. And I was like, okay. So I realized at that moment, I loved chiropractic, but I didn't love being a chiropractor. So one of the one of the things that really uh, wore on me was when patients uh, did not get better. Why weren't they getting better? What was I missing? And so I kind of, you know, was searching for answers and I, you know, started learning more about nutrition and detoxification and food allergies and sensitivities and all this stuff. And I realized what was really my calling was doing functional medicine. And I just had such a passion. I still have such a passion for functional medicine. So, okay, now fast forward, I'm 15 years in practice and I realize I need to go back to school and get another degree so that I can really, truly practice functional medicine in its full potential. So this is now I'm, I'm moving from Canada back to Chicago where I'm born and raised. So I moved back for two years to go back to school full time, 30 hours a week, <laughs> taking courses during the day, taking courses at night, studying for exams, writing papers. And on top of that, Darren, I was flying back and forth to still maintain my private practice in Canada. So it was insane. It was a crazy schedule. But that's, uh, you know, there are parts, there are times in our lives when we know we need to do something. We need to just buckle down in order to, you know, reach a goal that we, we want to achieve. So Honestly, it was like six months into this craziness that I started getting really fatigued. And I knew it was just the stress, the sheer mental stress and the physical stress I was putting my body under. And, uh, and during this time, during, uh, you know, this, this process, my thyroid started to tank. And I just, you know, I just kept it together as much as I could to get through school. I just thought, well, I'll just, I just got to get through this two years, get my degree. And so this was going back to, uh, to get a naturopathic medicine degree, get my degree, pass my board exams, get my license. And then after that, I'll just take some time to recharge my batteries, just have some downtime and things will be fine. Right. So that was like, so naive of me because after graduation and after passing my boards, I spent like three months, Darren, where I was sleeping probably 10 hours a night and taking a two-hour nap every day. And I and I just like, my energy just never came back. And I also kind of felt like my brain was burned out. Like my memory was not the same as before I went to school. And uh, it's so funny because my husband would say, 
you know, on your way home today, can you stop at the grocery store and pick up X, Y, and Z? And I say, okay. And then like literally three minutes later, I'm like, what did you want me to pick up? Okay, I want you to pick up X, Y, and Z. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, I got it. And then like five minutes later, I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm really sorry. I am listening to you, but it's not staying in my memory. What did you want me to pick up? He's like, I want you to pick up X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, so I was really struggling with my brain at that point too. But so um, so in the end, Darren, what happened was I, I broke all the rules. I turned the tables and... I started treating myself with functional medicine. So I say broke the rules because doctors were really not supposed to treat ourselves because we cannot be, you know, unbiased about that. But I decided enough is enough. And so I, I started figuring out my own case. And, and so that's, that's really what started the, the whole impetus to, to write the book was to share my story with others. Cause I know there are so many others struggling out there with fatigue and, all the patients that I was seeing in my private practice at Functional Medicine Ontario also who suffered with fatigue. And I was like, I came to this realization that it seems like our our standard of care for treating fatigue in the typical conventional model does not work because the standard of care is like they do some testing, the tests usually come back as normal, and then the patient is usually told something like, well, you're just a busy mom. And you just need a vacation and that's why you're tired. Or you just work too hard. Maybe you're starting a burnout and you should take three months of, off of work. Or, gee, I don't know. All your tests are normal. Maybe we should start you on antidepressants. So I, I just started hearing all these stories from patients coming into my practice. And I was like, I really need to write a book because there are real clinical underlying causes of fatigue. And if we can just find them and fix them patients can get their energy back. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I laugh because I'm going through this process right now. You and I were kind of discussing off the air where I'm in the process of taking my old website and moving over to a new website and featuring the podcast and having a store. And I'm like, okay, I, I set up an interview maybe a month or so ago, because when I set up my podcast interviews, I will set them up. And then what I'll do is I'll take out a calendar. I like to physically write things and then put each date on there, put the person's name. This person's going to be on. And because I've been doing this process and it's been so kind of crazy and I've been tired myself of just staying up late and, and researching interviews and doing different things that I've kind of gotten tired. And my, my memory is not like it used to be. My memory used to be a steel trap. I'm like, I'm laughing at you because I'm experiencing that right now, just because, again, I'm buckling down and wanting to achieve something else at this point uh, in, in my life and really move things a little bit more forward. You mentioned fatigue and we're talking about fatigue. Is fatigue our first warning sign that, that something's going is going to go um, awry? Oh, that's a great question, Darren. I think for some people, it is fatigue. That's the first warning sign. Um, and most of the time, it just gets ignored because it's like, well, I'm, I work, I'm working hard. I'm, I don't have time for exercise. Of course, I'm tired. I'm not getting enough sleep at night. Uh, but I think for other people, they'll, they'll have different warning signs and it's not so much fatigue, but the fatigue will come usually at some point. So, so as you were saying, like your mind used to be a steel trap. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, they have these, um, 
you know, quote unquote, senior moments where they walk into a room and they're like, why did I, why did I walk into this room where they pick up their cell phone and they're like, okay, who was I just thinking of calling or they forget where their keys are and, and they just like, just kind of shrug that off. But that's like, those are early indicators that your brain is starting to struggle. And then for other people, it might be digestive issues like uh, they're having a little bit of uh, indigestion, gas, bloating, heartburn, and then they just kind of shrug it off. I just, I just feel like there usually are warning signs. Fatigue might be the first one, but it could be anything. But human nature is we just kind of shrug it off and, you know, usually we wait until it gets really bad <laughs> yeah. to do something about it. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm no different. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm here in the expert hot seat today, but I'm no different than the average person on a lot of this. Yeah. I mean, I'm not bragging, but my mind was so good when I was younger that anytime you, when you're young, you go out and I would get girls' phone numbers and I would never need to write it down. Just tell me your number. And it was, they would like, Oh, you're going to remember my number. I like, yeah, I remember your number. And they would just tell me their number and I would remember it. But I guess now with the advent of phones and everything else that's going on, you don't, <laughs> it's like, I can't even remember my phone number sometimes. So my cell phone, more or less, you know, someone else's, but I guess I don't depend on that memory as much as I did before. When yeah, you... that, that's true. We as a culture, yeah, we're, we're getting so dependent on our computers and our cell phones that we're not exercising those parts of our brains. Yeah. And, and there actually is something, it's called a digital dementia. And they're researching that right now to see, okay, what's going on now with this new generation that they're so into technology, but it's totally changing our brains. That could be a whole other episode to tell yeah, you the truth, yeah. Jared. I, you know what? <laughs> I think I suffer from that, honestly, to tell you the truth. Uh, you mentioned in your patient description, I come from the pharmaceutical world and we would always have, we would always set up this little scenario of what we're going to talk to the doctor about, the patient description, and we would describe the the ideal patient to come in for the doctor to prescribe my drug way back when, when you were talking about your patient description, you said a woman comes in and she is fatigued. Um, she's thinking that, you know, it's a kids or just her life. And you mentioned women specifically, is it women that seem to suffer more for fatigue? I know that you have a practice or are you seeing equally that men or are men on that in the spectrum where they don't really like to admit that they're they're tired. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you're right. And in, in my book, I did put the focus of my book on women because mainly it is women that come to see me. I'd say it's like 75% women, 25% men. And uh and so I think part of that is intuitively women uh women pay better attention to their bodies. Women pay closer attention to their inner inner, uh, their intuition, their gut feeling. So like they know something is wrong. They know it's not just the kids. They know it's, it's more than just in their head quote, you know, there's really something going on and they want answers, but yeah, men can definitely have fatigue as well. Um, I think, well, I wonder, I'm not a man, but maybe you could answer this, Darren. I wonder, do men kind of put that under the rug and just, you know, because they just want to always be perceived as strong and, uh, and whatnot. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think so. And I remember like when um, I was doing a lot of research on different things or different topics that I'd like to maybe interview with or different topics that I would want to maybe 
gear a product towards for marketing, it always seemed that women were at the top of the category for researching different types of issue because everything I looked at was, it was women, women, women. And I think whereas men are taught to rely on our strength and we don't like to admit that we have an issue. And uh, it wasn't until I came into health and wellness that I was like, okay, I need to focus on this and, and help because when you are, you know, you have a husband and you have many men out there may be married. They have a family and your family is kind of maybe depending on you for a certain type type of support, you know, monetary, emotional support, whatever it might be. And you're not there. You're sick or you're in the hospital. It takes a toll. And I don't think a lot of men realize this. But on the other end of that spectrum as well, I also think that it's something within us that we're taught to be strong. We're just taught to ignore things and just kind of bury and say, you know what, I can make it through this because I've caught myself doing that recently. It's like, oh, you know what, I can make it through this. I I call myself Iron Man. Oh, (laughs) yeah. yeah. (laughs) But but at some point you got to say, you know what, let me get some rest. I need to be getting more than four or five hours of sleep a night. Uh, for me, optimally, I don't know for everyone else, but for me, I, I know that I need more than four or five hours of sleep. If I go to bed after 12, it's like, it's, it's crazy. But I wanted to talk a little bit about this because you had two warning signs for something and I picked up on it. Cold hands and feet. There was something you talked about, cold hands and feet, that might be relatable to one condition that you test for. And then also, I know that a lot of times the people who might be suffering from hypothyroidism, one of the things that they will take into account or, or, or we can think take into account through nutrition or functional medicine is that this person might have a thyroid issue. And I can't remember which one had the cold hands and feet, but there were two. And I was wondering if it's wise to test for, for both. Yeah, so with uh, with cold hands and feet, there's usually two things that I think of straight off the bat. So one is, is there a thyroid condition? But then the other is poor circulation in general will also mean impaired brain function. So with patients that have cold hands, cold feet, even cold nose, like I'll ask that, is your nose cold too? And they'll be like, yeah, actually it is. Um, if we're not getting enough blood circulating to our hands, our feet, our nose, we're also not getting enough blood in the microcirculation to our brain. So sometimes fatigue can be thyroid related. Sometimes it can be brain related. But yeah, absolutely. Straight off the bat, anybody that has fatigue, really the first two things that they should be checked for are their thyroid and to make sure they don't have anemia. Like of all the causes out there, those are the two at the top of the list that should be checked first because they're very treatable. Yeah. And anemia has to do with iron. Why do it always seems like women have an issue with iron related uh, things? Why is it that women suffer more from anemia than, than men do? Well, I think that is uh, simply because of the whole pro- process of uh, menstruation on a monthly basis. So our body naturally is uh, getting rid of a certain amount of blood every month. And so we're losing a certain amount of iron every month. So I think that's part of why women will have more issues with iron than men. With the iron, um, is there a certain type of iron that is recommended for women who might be suffering for, for 
from anemia? Oh, that that's a great question. So, you know what I what I talk about in the book and what I explain to patients is okay. Let's say you do have anemia, and let's say you have iron deficiency anemia. The the real question is the why? Why do you have iron deficiency in the first place? So there's basically four possibilities going on. And so in functional medicine, we're always trying to get to the root cause, figure out that why. And so it's either maybe they're not getting enough iron in their diet. So maybe they're not getting enough iron into the body. So that's number one. And number two is maybe they are getting enough iron in their diet, but maybe it's not getting digested and absorbed properly. So in the stomach, there can be uh, a bacteria in the stomach called uh, H. pylori. And H. pylori uh, weakens stomach acid production. And uh, from there, you won't be able to absorb iron as easily. And the other thing with absorption is I think of uh, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So too much bacteria in the small intestine where there normally should be virtually none. Uh, that can also lead to iron deficiency. And then the, the, the third one in that, you know, second category is uh, actually celiac disease. The first uh, lab warning of potential celiac disease is low iron. So either you're not getting enough iron in your diet or it's not getting absorbed properly or it's getting stolen from you. It's getting used up really fast. So things like uh, typically that I also put infections in that category as well because uh, they'll, they'll tend to feed on iron and that's that's how they keep living in your body. So that could be bacterial overgrowth, yeast overgrowth, even potential parasites. And then the fourth on this list is you're bleeding from somewhere. You are losing iron. Where are you losing iron from? So that's where something like really heavy menstrual bleeding on a monthly basis or a low, a low grade bleeding ulcer or a bleeding polyp in the colon, somewhere there is blood loss. So when we think about iron deficiency, first is, I always say is like, find out where, why is it there in the first place? So going back to your question, Darren, <laughs> about what iron is the best. Oh my gosh, that's a, that's a great question because honestly, I don't really care. Because the difficulty with iron is that Iron is difficult to absorb. It causes a lot of digestive upsets for patients typically. Some will get nausea. A lot of people will get constipated on iron. And it depends on how sensitive their digestive tract is or isn't. You know, some people have an iron stomach and some people don't. You know, I'll just tell them to look for something in a capsule form rather than a tablet because capsules will always break down in your stomach a lot easier and quicker than a tablet would. So capsules or, or even a liquid iron supplement. And to just kind of uh, try it out and see how do you feel on it. And uh, I'll, I'll usually have them aim for a dose of like 90 milligrams of iron on a daily basis. But whatever form of iron works best for them and kind of, you know, doesn't cause digestive upset. And then, honestly, what I'll do, Darren, is about three, four months down the line is I'll retest their blood to make sure, okay, the the iron seems to be digesting okay in your body, but is it really bringing your iron stores up? So, usually three, four months down the line is about how long it takes to actually see that change in the actual blood work. And then, like, we'll really know if it's working. I don't like getting this battle of sexes, but when you're in this for a, a while, you, you tend to notice that 
certain conditions affect certain sexes. Like for women, you mentioned SIBO and SIBO has been such a hot topic for, you know, so many years. And you seem to see that more in women. Have you, do you know why that might be? Let me see. I, I think uh, some of that could be because of um, the use of antibiotics. So I typically find a lot of women will have SIBO, especially if they've used antibiotics in their like teens and 20s for acne. Um, and then a lot of women too who have been on uh, birth control pills, like that will kind of predispose their body hormonally um, to SIBO as well. So I so off the top of my head, those are the two reasons that I, I usually think of as far as why is there such a difference. We seem to stray away from the thyroid, but I wanted to get back on that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So with the thyroid, in your book, you talked about normal levels and ideal levels. And you said that you like to work with ideal levels. Explain that philosophy. Oh, okay. So... On a typical uh, blood test that we get back from the lab, there is the, the reference range of what's considered normal. So the reference range, especially for uh, the thyroid, the TSH test, which is the one that's usually done to screen for thyroid, usually is um, on the low end of the range at a 0.5 and at the high end of the range as a 5.0. And depending on the lab, those actual values can uh, differ slightly. So... Each lab actually has their own kind of, quote, normal range, and you'd think they'd be standardized, but it's not. Um, so that normal range actually is quite broad, though. And so we want to see, like, okay, what is really within that normal range? What is really ideal numbers for ideal thyroid function? And um, years ago, this came out from the uh, American Academy of Clinical Endocrinologists, and they said, you know, at the at the top end of the range, at, at a 3.0, if your numbers are above a 3.0 on your TSH, that's actually when we should start considering that as being hypothyroid or low thyroid. And even at a 2.0 or higher, that's when we should start investigating and saying, oh, there is probably a thyroid weakness starting, but it's not gone bad to the point where we would actually call it hypothyroidism. So within that normal range, there is always an ideal range for health. From my own research, because when I encounter something and I don't know about it, I tend to go to research. And I know that they, there are thyroid receptors on you know most major organs in our bodies. When your thyroid levels aren't in ideal range, does this affect our nutrient levels like B12, vitamin D, um, etc.? Yeah, actually, so every cell of your body has thyroid receptors on it. And so when the thyroid is out of, out of balance, it will affect every part of the body. And so very from a very like fundamental kind of stripped down standpoint, the thyroid, when it gets weak, kind of everything starts to slow down in your body. So your digestion will slow down. Your ability to process food and absorb nutrients will slow down. And then uh, your brain health will slow down your sex hormone production, will slow down, everything will get affected. It's a real trickle-down effect. And I have to ask you this because it, there's so many schools of thought out there about this. It's uh, Hashimoto's and iodine. I've heard 
Don't use Hashimoto. Don't use iodine when you have Hashimoto's. Use iodine when you have Hashimoto's, but supplement with selenium. What is your school of thought on, on that? Oh, you're right. That is a big controversy. Yeah, yeah. It is huge. So I am I'm a real fan of Dr. Datis Karazian. Yes. And I know that he is a hardcore researcher. And so what he says, I will always uh, agree with. So Dr. Karazian has always said that you have to be extremely careful using iodine with Hashimoto's. I'm not I know there is the research out there on the selenium, but he's never addressed that. So I'm assuming that might not be as strong of research as some people think. Anyways, I would, I, with my patients, say avoid iodine as much as you can. And in the meantime, we're working on all these things to bring their antibody levels for their Hashimoto's down to uh, the normal range to get them into remission. And uh, there, there are times when, you know, we've, we've done pretty much everything and I'll, I'll say like, okay, maybe now it's time to really look at your diet and see where are you getting even the most minute forms of iodine and like eliminate those from your diet. And then like finally they respond. So I'm of the camp of avoid iodine because iodine we know will stimulate uh, TPO antibody production, which is not what we want with Hashimoto's. Now, we do know that selenium helps to block TPO production. So we always want selenium added in with Hashimoto's. Going back to our immune system, and this is something that I noticed in my own personal experience when I found out what my food sensitivities were, and I wanted to kind of take this as a two-part question. When I suddenly pulled out the things that I was sensitive to, my immune system heightened. But I also know with that heightening, I had more energy. I almost felt like I was superhuman. I wanted you to talk a little bit about your experience with food sensitivities with you know patients or even with yourself. And also chronic infections, because you talked a little bit about that earlier, how chronic infections kind of suppress our immune system because our immune system is always fighting and how that might lend itself to, to fatigue. Okay, so so first off, I will say that usually patients who come in and have fatigue, usually they have a lot of things going on. So it's usually not just like one thing like, oh, it's just your thyroid and we'll fix that and then life is going to be, you know, all rainbows and glitter again and it's usually like a lot of things going on so when it comes to uh, reactions to foods there's actually many different forms of reactions to foods there's actually you know there's true allergies there's true sensitivities so there are true immune responses and then there are things like digestive influences and and uh, abnormal shunting of blood from the brain to the digestive tract so so when it comes to We'll call them food reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So we're kind of covering all those bases. Food reactions uh, can be a, a big contributor to fatigue and actually many different health problems. And I forget who it was that said that food reactions were like the great mimicker because they can cause any symptom of your body. So if we took like 10 people and we line them up right now, Darren, and let's say they all had a sensitivity to eggs, one might have anxiety one might have 
uh, depression that gets triggered with the eggs. One might have uh, skin rashes. One might ha- have uh, uh, joint pain. One might have uh, constipation. One might have diarrhea. One might have migraines. One might have fatigue. Uh, so I, I, you get the point there that uh, food rations can really contribute to just about any symptom of the body. So it makes it difficult to figure out. In my own personal case, I did get get to a point where I realized I really had to buckle down with my diet and and do a gluten-free diet. That's where I started with. And uh, that was after taking a course by Dr. Tom O'Brien, who is uh, one of the one of the uh, leading gluten experts. And uh, it took me about three years to, to work up the courage to do a gluten-free diet, to be quite honest, Darren, because <laughs> I was like, oh my God, it's, it's going to be the hardest thing I'm ever going to do. And what am I going to eat? And and it was like, a, it was a lot of negativity in my, in my mind. And so what I did is, um, and, and I recommend this to, to anybody who is making diet changes is just start with one meal at a time. So like I started with breakfast and I was like, okay, how do I make my current breakfast into a gluten-free breakfast? So I did some research on the internet, you know, just do a search of gluten-free breakfast recipes. Okay, what kind of foods do I need to shop for? What do I need in my pantry? What do I need in my refrigerator? So within a couple of weeks, I had my breakfast mastered. Okay, once I mastered my breakfast, then I moved on to lunch. Okay, now how do I switch over my lunch to being gluten-free? So the listeners out there, they can do the same process with any kind of diet change. And I realized once I switched my entire diet over to being gluten-free, like my energy came up two notches on my my way to getting my entire energy back. It came up a couple more notches. So so with patients out there, food can be a a big influence. So there's food reactions. And then the other thing food-wise is, depending on how you're eating, if you're not maintaining a a good, smooth uh, blood sugar level, that will also uh, deplete you of energy as well. Um, Okay, so, so I'm thinking... We only have so much time here. I could talk about blood sugar, but I know your the other part of your question was about infections. Yeah, and how they suppress the immune system because if your immune system is is constantly fighting something off, and I mean anybody can attest to this. If you have a cold or flu or something, I remember having the flu uh, when I played basketball in college, and man, it was like someone hit me with a, a, a two by four, and I remember how fatigued and how tired I was, but. You know, when you are constantly fighting an infection, you don't know you have that infection. Your immune system is just putting out that, you know, putting out that energy. Obviously, that's going to make you fatigued as well, right? Yeah, definitely. So, uh, so again, infection. So that could be uh, something like SIBO or too much yeast growing in the gut or parasites or just not enough probiotics too. In that your your immune system is always at war with uh, invaders like parasites and yeast and bacteria that it, it's like it's like soldiers on the battlefield and that we can si- sometimes see these markers in the blood work that white blood cells are low or different uh, specific white blood cells and neutrophils or the eosinophils or the lymphocytes are either too low or too high. So we can see in the blood work sometimes signs of chronic infection and that does slowly weaken the immune system and uh, sap you of energy. And the other part is that these infections, you know, when you eat food, you eat food to fuel your body, but 
these infections, like they're going to live off of you. They're going to steal those nutrients, you know, from you, from your food. And uh, that's another way that people will get low energy too, is that they're not being nourished like they think they should be being nourished because the infections are stealing nutrients from them so that they can survive. Yeah. You, you mentioned a little bit about blood sugar imbalance. I kind of wanted to get into it a little bit more. And uh, also, in the book, you talked about detoxification being necessary when you have a blood sugar imbalance. Talk a, a little bit more about that. So I, I find in my patients, um, I always try and see about blood sugar imbalance because that's a very, very fundamental part of getting energy back is just from a purely diet perspective is are you fueling your body properly to maintain good, even blood sugar? You could do everything else on the list work on thyroid, take your B12, work on infections. But fundamentally, if your blood sugar is is imbalanced, is not in balance, uh, your your energy like will only get so far. You you will still have fatigue. So I'll always try and see if the patient has uh, low blood sugar. So, you know, the typical symptoms of that are um, skipping meals, you know, waking up, skipping breakfast, um, getting uh, shaky and irritable through the day, and then feeling better after you eat. And then the other thing is waking up during the middle of the night, like 2, 3 in the morning, wait, just waking up. That, that usually is a sign of low blood sugar. And then the other I look for is when the blood sugar is the opposite and is too high. So typical symptoms of that that I look for are, you know, patients that eat a meal and they feel tired after they eat. You know, they feel like they just want to take a nap after you eat. That's usually because their blood sugar is too high and they've eaten too many carbs. Um, or, you know, you eat a meal and you, you have a craving for sugar. You, you feel like, oh, I think I need a dessert. Or, you know, I'm going to be healthy, so I won't have a dessert. I'll just have like a piece of fruit or some dried fruit or something. Or just like one square of dark, dark chocolate. Uh, again, craving sweets after your meal is usually a sign that your blood sugar is too high. And then the last thing I look for with high blood sugar is people who have a hard time falling asleep at night, often it's because their blood sugar is running too high. Hmm. And so there's t- kind of those two categories. And then there's a third category, which is the blend of both. You know, through the day, a person can have blood sugar that's running high, running low. They're kind of on a roller coaster. And, uh, and and all of that can be very easily managed through simple diet changes and fueling your body and, and your brain. So the other thing, Darren, is your brain is one of the biggest consumers of glucose in your body. So if your blood sugar is out of balance, it, it has a big effect on your brain. And one of the things I always ask patients is, okay, you feel fatigued. Do you feel tired in your brain Mm. or do you feel tired in your body? So do you feel tired physically or mentally or both? Because that'll kind of clue me into like what part of the body I need to be looking at. So yeah, the brain is a big consumer of sugar and uh, actually, you know, taking it to the extreme here, we talked about um, digital dementia at the very beginning of our interview, you know, we kind of brushed on that real fast and, and how one of the earliest warning signs can be, you know, having these, quote, senior moments in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s that your brain is starting to get weak. So um, they, they are now calling Alzheimer's disease type 3 diabetes because blood sugar has such a big impact. So for the listeners out there right now, 
that's uh, one of the very first places I'll start with patients is just making sure their blood sugar is in good balance before I move on to any other part of their case. That's how important it is. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the brain because I just had an aha moment because I used to tell people this all the time. You can give me anything physically and I, cause I play basketball. I've kind of gone through everything physically that a person can go through. And if you've been an athlete, you know that, you know, they run you to death. They do all, and you're pretty much geared physically for anything. But when I'm mentally tired, it's just like that kills me. Because you said, is your brain tired? Like my brain will get tired sometimes and it's like, okay, now I know it's time for me to rest. What's going on with people's brains now? Because you're finding that more. I don't know if you've, um, Kelly Brogdon has the book on depression and, and all this, these other uh, things that are coming out, but it seems like we're more depressed. We're more, we have more anxiety. Um, people just are more on edge in general in our society and you're in Canada. I'm pretty sure it's the same thing here. It in, is. In the it's States. the same. <laughs> what the heck is going on with our brains and how is this con- contributing to the fatigue that we're experiencing? Um, yeah, so that's a great question. I, I don't know if we'll have enough time to <laughs> answer that. <laughs> well, I'm going to keep you a little longer. So let's, let's go because I, I have some yeah. stuff that I really wanted to, to cover and, and get into. So we'll, if you have a, a, a little more time, I have a little more time. Oh, I do have a little more time. Okay, great. so the brain. So in healthcare up to this point, healthcare has basically been a neck down kind of a, a, a treatment. And in general, we've kind of forgotten about how the brain plays a role in the whole health of the body, not just the health of the brain itself, but the, the whole health of the body too. The body, you know, we're learning that there's a brain gut connection and a gut brain connection. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier about um, the thyroid and Hashimoto's. There's a huge connection with Hashimoto's and then contributing to poor brain health. So I don't know if just some of this is coming up because it's it's a real hot topic in the research is um, brain, brain function, brain gut function, the role of probiotics and brain health. And then, too, I don't know, Darren, if it's just as a culture, you know, and I can say this because I'm an American, I'm living in Canada, I, I see both, you know, cultures that, you know, I know I was kind of raised uh, on the notion of, you know, you got to work hard uh, to to succeed, and uh, and it, and it's not about living a, a fulfilled life. It's it's about having a lot of stuff, and not so much living a fulfilled life, whatever that means for you. And so, I I think too, part of that is our upbringing that that needs to change. You know what what is really important in life. So I think that's part of too why why people are having so many problems with struggling with brain health. And then the last thing too is that um what was I gonna say here? Oh, I just had a senior moment myself. Well, that's not good. <laughs> I gotta work on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's okay. I do the Oh, it'll same come thing. back to me, Darren. Yeah. Yeah, when I'm on the air, I kind of do the same thing. Like a question will come in my mind and I'll forget it. And I'm sitting here scrambling in my mind, Where, where's my question? Where's my question? And ultimately, it'll come back to me. I just think that's just a hazard of being on the air and you know everybody's listening. Exercise. Well, not exercise. I want to get into nutrient deficiencies because 
as a society, we're obviously suffering from nutrition, nutri- nutrient deficiencies. Uh, even people who, cause when I was on the outside looking in, I always thought that people who were overweight had too many nutrients, but I'm finding out now in, now that I'm on the inside with nutrition and, and interviewing people on functional wellness and all this other stuff is that these people are not having enough nutrients and those people who are usually overweight are also suffering from fatigue. So why are we not getting enough nutrients and why are nutrition deficiencies contributing to our, our fatigue? Oh yeah, you're totally right about that is, well, a lot of people are um, undernourished, malnourished. And uh, so I think part of that is, <clears throat> part of that is uh, the whole industrialization of our food industry you know we are we eat stuff that comes from california and south america and elsewhere and it's picked too early to actually have enough uh nutrition in it for what we need you know you know rather than ideally eating things locally grown at the you know that are picked at their peak of you know peak uh ripeness that are, are full of goodness and vitamins and minerals and are grown in a nutrient-rich soil. So, you know, part of that really goes back to the fundamentals of the food industry is not there for our health. The food industry is there to make money off of us, you know. And then uh, I think the other thing is, too, there, there can be so many imbalances along the way with stress hormones, sex hormones, thyroid hormones, these chronic hidden infections, these chronic hidden food sensitivities. Uh, they, they can all in their own way, shape, and form uh, contribute to uh, leaky gut and gut inflammation. And uh, when, when we have that happening, it gets more difficult for us to uh, digest and absorb um, our foods and our supplements too. It gets harder to just the, the process of digestion and absorption. So I think, you know, that goes on for months and months and years and years. And, uh, and that's why so many people are struggling with their health, even if they, they are thinking that they're doing all the right things, you know, eating, eating as healthy as they can. Sometimes fundamentally, if, if you're not producing enough stomach acid and digestive enzymes you can eat the the greatest diet but if you're not digesting it and absorbing it properly that it all has a domino effect and speaking of that i just had dr jonathan wright on my show last friday and we talked about his book why stomach acid is good for you and we didn't even we didn't even touch on this and i wanted to touch on this because i was reminded of it in your book and it's about the ppis the proton pump inhibitors and how they actually rob nutrients I wanted you to kind of embellish that a little bit more because a lot of people, again, I come from pharma and I knew a lot about, you know, certain medications that were, that contain fluoride, certain medications that rob the body of nutrients. But again, I wanted you to expand on this, on these proton pump inhibitors and how they actually rob the body of nutrients. Oh, sure, Darren. So uh, for the listeners out there, proton pump inhibitors or uh, PPIs for short, they're uh, one class of uh, antacid medications that are typically prescribed for patients that have heartburn, gastritis, uh, reflux, or GERD. And so uh, these PPI groups of medications, they basically uh, block stomach acid production 
And the problem with that is that the whole, the, the fundamental biochemistry of how we digest and absorb nutrients requires strong acid. So it gets to be a pH thing. So for the listeners out there, if you've had a, a swimming pool or a, or a fish tank, you know, you have to measure the pH of that liquid and it has to be at a certain range in order, order to be good. It's the same thing for your stomach. The pH of your stomach needs to be between a 1.0 and a 3.0, I believe. So highly, highly acidic. And, uh, and that's, it's only in those highly, highly acidic conditions that we're able to absorb things like iron, things like calcium, things like magnesium and B12 and whatnot. And so the, as the pH of the stomach changes, and as the pH gets higher, actually the stomach acid gets weaker. The, it's, it's a simple biochemistry thing. Then iron does not get absorbed. Calcium does not get absorbed. Magnesium does get, not get absorbed. B12 does not get absorbed. And so the trickle down effect is at some point you will usually start seeing insufficiencies of these nutrients. And then for some people, uh, true deficiencies. And, and this is not just me saying that. There's a actually, hard research evidence on all of this and I know in Canada right now I don't know if it's in the same in the states but in Canada the uh, PBIs all have a black box warning which means when it's prescribed by the medical doctor that it can only be prescribed for short periods of time because they know now that long-term effects of PPIs are really really bad yeah it's got to be Canada because I know it takes a a lot for them to place a back box warning on anything in, in America. Cause I've experienced that myself when I was in pharma. And even when they did place the black box warning on it, the company denied it. <laughs> so it's, it's gotta be a lot to put a black box warning on a drug here in the, in the States. Now I'm not sure uh, about Canada. The, the last thing I wanted to talk about before we kind of got to some solutions was cortisol, cortisol imbalance and adrenals and how that may contribute to uh, fatigue as well. And for the audience out there, I'm pointing out that the book goes into functional medicine and how we're able to take these things step by step, kind of step by step process and get to the root cause of everything. And that's kind of why the conversation is, is going this way. But Again, talk about cortisol, where our cortisol should be ideally, and maybe mix the, the adrenals in there and, and what they do when it comes to, to cortisol. Okay, so cortisol is uh, one of our hormones. Cortisol impacts, I think, 11 different body systems. And one of the big things that cortisol is made to do is to help protect us from the harmful effects of stress. And and this is the long-term chronic stress that we we all you know suffer from in some way shape or form and so uh you know oftentimes i'll have patients come in and i'll you know i'll put on my detective hat and i'm thinking like okay where's this coming from and i'll ask them when did this fatigue start or or when do you remember having good energy you know trying to figure out on, on like the timeline of their life when did things you know go off the rails and then I'll usually ask them, okay, what happened like six to 12 months before that? And oftentimes, Darren, it's something pretty stressful in their lives. So it could be something like 
the death or illness of a loved one. It could be uh, separation or, or divorce, major financial struggles or loss of a job, um, something like that. So stress really does have a big impact on our health. And uh, cortisol, I would say, is one of the more direct means that we can see that. Um, there is a researcher from uh, Stanford who, who has done uh, the bulk of the research on cortisol. That's uh, Dr. Robert Sapolsky. And so when cortisol, when cortisol gets out of balance, it's going to affect our brain. It's going to affect our sex hormones. It's going to affect our thyroid hormones. What you might feel, though, is some, sometimes people will feel tired but wired. Sometimes people will just feel tired and exhausted. Sometimes people will start having weight gain, especially weight gain around their belly, that, that belly fat. That's very typical of uh, cortisol imbalance. And uh, normally cortisol is uh, part of our sleep-wake cycle as well. So normally cortisol should be highest in the morning. And that's part of the process chemically of what triggers us to wake up. At some point during the night, our glucose, our blood sugar gets too low, and then our cortisol has to kick in to start raising the blood sugar. And so should be highest in the morning when we wake up, giving us lots of energy to tackle our day. And then through the day, cortisol slowly uh, decreases. And then during the night is when it really should be at its lowest. And that's when we should be getting uh, really great deep, deep sleep. And then through the night, it slowly creeps up to uh to uh, peak in the morning again so that's part of the rhythm the cycle the circadian rhythm or the sleep-wake cycle that cortisol is also involved with and uh cortisol is best measured with uh, a saliva test so so there's a rhythm to it and you can't see that rhythm in just one blood test and you could go and get like four blood tests done in one day but it's it's not easy to do and uh, so saliva testing is a more accurate way to see what that cortisol rhythm is doing. Because, Darren, some people, their cortisol rhythm is, they're like a flat line all day long. Mm-hmm. And, and some people, their rhythm is like the opposite of what it's supposed to be. It's too low in the morning and it's too high at night. And then, like, they can't sleep. And, and just relying on symptoms is not a great way to say, like, what is going on with the rhythm. Actually, doing the test tells us a lot more than just what the symptoms could be telling us. So with the last couple of minutes, I always like to get into some solutions or just start discussing how we can, I don't want to say push through fatigue, but become, have more energy. I live here in South Florida and I've noticed that I have to drink a lot more water than maybe someone else who's living somewhere else. And when I'm not drinking enough water, I've realized that it can contribute to my fatigue factor. How important is water when it comes to to overcoming fatigue? I think for some people, water is a big part of why they are tired, to tell you the truth. It's not for everybody, but for some cases, it's it's a big part of it. Especially, Darren, in my practice, I see um, my patients that are teachers are often very dehydrated because they just don't have time to be drinking water all day and then to be running to the bathroom. So they just don't drink during the day and they get dehydrated and it has a big effect on their brain and they feel tired. 
So yeah, that's definitely part of it. A lot of this, when we just talk about like the solutions, a lot of it is going back to the basics. There's a ba- There are the basic foundational things that need to be in place to have good health. Making sure you're drinking adequate amounts of water is part of that, as is also stress management, getting adequate exercise, eating healthy. And the other one is I like to call vitamin R, which is rest, relaxation, and recreation. Those are the basics. Yeah, so <clears throat> I got a question to ask you about that that the R and that is what you, what do you do? I I guess where does exercise fit in there? Because, excuse me, if someone is obviously fatigued, are you going to recommend that they go out and do CrossFit or is there something that they can do? Oh yeah. Oh, this is always a struggle. And, And you, you are, um, you're so right about this is the struggle with fatigue is we know, you know, so if we break it down to uh, the cellular level, okay, so your body is made of organs and organs are made from collections of tissues and tissues are made from collections of cells and inside each and every cell of your body are more tiny little organs are called organelles and every cell of your body has at least one mitochondria in it and the job of the mitochondria is to make energy so you know how you put gas in your car and somehow in the engine all the magic happens and that gas gets combusted and turned into power so in your body the job of the mitochondria is like the engine the job of the mitochondria is to take the food that you eat the glucose and to convert it into pure energy to drive everything in your body to give you energy, to make sure you have enough energy to keep your brain working, to keep your heart beating, to to repair and rebuild and whatnot. So one of the great things about exercise is that exercise helps you build new healthy mitochondria. So exercise helps you with energy production. The the catch-22 is that so many people are so exhausted and tired that you know, part of the, part of it is like they mentally can't wrap their head around doing some exercise because they feel like exercise is, they don't have enough energy to even do exercise and, and the exercise is probably going to make them worse. But the simple truth is you need to do a certain amount of exercise to start rebuilding your mitochondria stores so that you can start making energy. The thing is to make sure you're doing the right exercises for you. And you're right, Darren. It's not going out and doing CrossFit like straight off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> or like a lot of people, that's going to kill them. That, that's going to make them worse. So it, it's whatever it is that's going to work for you. So a lot of, for a lot of people, it could just be going for a 10-minute walk or doing some light yoga. Not power yoga, not, you know, uh, hot yoga or Bikram yoga. It's just doing some light, relaxing yoga or some light weights for maybe 20 minutes. Um, usually that's kind of where I'll have patients start and, and I'll say to exercise within your body's tolerance. So what I mean by that is if you feel after you've exercised, if you feel unusually tired or unusually sore for the amount of exercise that you just did, that means you overdid it for what your body can tolerate. So for some people, fifteen a 15-minute walk 
will put them in bed the rest of the day. It's just too much for them. But a 10 minute walk is, you know, they can handle. So, okay, stay within 10 minutes for now until we, you know, and we'll just start building on that. So I always like to say, you, you, the individual needs to figure out what you can tolerate and then you'll slowly build on that. Yeah. Um, I always tell people exercise is about progression because I, when I first came into this, it was more fitness related. And I noticed with myself is that you never, I, I never tried to go out and run a mile the first day. It was like, okay, I will walk on a treadmill and then a walk right, became right. a little jog and then it became something else. And before I knew it, I was running 45 minutes on a treadmill without a problem, but it's all about progression. You yourself do not like yoga. I don't. You like boxing and you're a woman after my own heart because I'm a real big (laughs) boxing fan. But talk about why you love boxing so much. Yeah. So one of the questions you had was about vitamin R. Yes. And exercise. You know, actually, if we can combine our vitamin R, which is our rest, relaxation and recreation, if we can combine that with our exercise, that's like a one two punch right there. So, yeah, you're right. I don't like yoga simply because, Darren, I am, I've never been flexible. <laughs> never. I was not able to be a cheerleader in my high school days because I was never able to do a cartwheel or the splits. And so I just, I find yoga just frustrating because of that. And so what I've learned instead is that, you know, what really works for me is boxing, that I can go to the gym. And I, and I uh, take a boxing class, and, and it's about hitting the heavy bag. It's not about sparring with other people. It's about hitting the heavy bag. And that, uh, you know, what ends up happening is I've realized that part of this is just I find it fun. It's, it's a great stress reliever. Hitting the heavy bag is great for stress relief, for thinking about all those things that are bothering you and just getting it out on the heavy bag. Okay, and then the other thing I found, Darren, is that... Me, personally, I have a hard time shutting my brain off. And I think a lot of people are like that. And I realize that doing boxing, I have to shut off my brain. I have to focus on that bag for whatever the three-minute round that I'm doing. I have to focus on what I'm doing so I'm hitting the bag properly. I have good form so I don't hurt myself. And because I have to maintain that focus, I'm literally shutting my brain off. So I'm not thinking about patience. I'm not thinking about my to-do list. I'm not thinking about anything else. So it gives my brain a rest at the same time. And and I just find it so much, I personally, I find it fun that by the time I get to the end of like my 45-minute session, I'm like, geez, that's it? Like, can we go longer? So I'm actually having fun doing that too. So it, for me, it is vitamin R and exercise all wrapped into one. Yeah, and boxing is really great. It's all over conditioning. You condition your arms. It's it's just about everything. Probably one of the most physically demanding sports with all the running and you know the things that you have to do. And I'm I love watching boxing. I've never boxed a day in my life, but I just mar- I come from playing basketball, but I marvel at these guys because they put their bodies through so many excruciating things to be able to come out there and box round after round. But it's also fun. I've hit the heavy bag and kicked the heavy bag and done all this other stuff. And like you said, it, it turns my mind off because I'm like you. I'm really analytical. I'm a thinker. And when you're doing something like that, it helps you to, to kind of turn your, your mind off and just get into the moment. So it's great that you like boxing. Dr. Carrie Driska, it has been a pleasure. I'd love to have you back on and we speak of another topic. 
someday and some other time, but uh, it's been a pleasure. Darren McDuffie, it has been a pleasure on my end, too. This has been a great interview. I, I love the questions that you asked, and I hope that I was able to give your audience some good information. Because the reality is a lot of people have fatigue. They're struggling out there, and there are answers for them. So thank you so much for having me on so I could share some of that information. Yeah. And real quick, um, how do they get your book, and uh, what is your website for the listeners out there? Oh, okay. So my book is available on Amazon. So again, it's called uh, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again, Fixing the Root Cause of Your Fatigue with Natural Treatments. And if you'd like to know more about me and... uh, listen to my podcast or read my blog, uh, my uh, my website, kind of my home base is at drcarrie.com. So that is spelled D-R-C-A-R-R-I.com. And that's where you can get all of my resources. All right. Thank you. 